I'm Jonathan Mosin and this is Mosin at Large, the show that's got the blind community talking. My pronouns are he slash him and I'm a short blind guy in a dark suit with a blue tie. Much more on this later. There's more about abuse at schools for the blind and a feature on Remote Incident Manager from Numa Solutions. Mosin at Large Podcast. Some response to my comments from episode 189 about my evidence to the Royal Commission on Abuse in Care. We'll start with Aaron Linton. He says, I remember an O&M teacher at my school for the blind that would yell at kids of all ages. Nobody ever called her out on her behavior. When it came to other teachers, parents and co-workers, her voice would be normal and her demeanor would be decent. When I would talk with this particular O&M instructor, she was always pleasant to me, which really never made sense in my head. I also had a dorm parent at the school who would always yell and make comments to any student. I remember I was on the phone with my mom and she came in yelling at me about something. I was 17 at the time and fortunately my mom heard her. I remember this particular dorm parent saying, he's almost an adult, I can talk to him any way I want. Well, needless to say, she never did that again and was nicer to every student afterwards. In regards to these individuals, I've never understood why action was never taken from the principal's side of the matter. Many students complained, and I believe parents did as well. I urge parents of blind kids Please listen to your kids and take their complaints seriously. If something doesn't seem right about a teacher, O&M instructor, etc., speak up. You are your kid's voice until they find their own voice. Anyway, I hope your trip goes well and that the music will flow through your veins and keep your spirits up. Thank you, Aaron. Very well said. Yelling like that is a form of abuse. It's not necessary. It can be highly intimidating. The other thing I would add to your comments is if the system is closing in to protect people who are abusive, and there's no doubt this does happen, then complain further up the chain. Go beyond the immediate system and seek redress from authorities. Here's an email from Dave Gordon, and he writes, Hi, Jonathan, I really enjoy your podcast. And while I look forward a lot to the technical discussion and the excellent reviews that you do on various products, I took special interest in the last one where you talked about abuse at residential schools for the blind. I believe it is a much covered up thing, and I write about it some in my book titled Hitchhiking Across the Country with My White Cane in the Early 70s. While I regret it, to avoid legal action, I removed much of my disclosures on this from the final release, which is available at Amazon as a printed and Kindle book, and at Audible, and iTunes as an audiobook. I attended a state-sponsored school here in the States, and while I did not hear of much physical abuse during the time I was there, while writing my book, I spoke with students from other schools around the States and in Canada, where physical abuse was much more prevalent. Where I went to school, sex abuse was more than quite common. Dave continues, While I was not personally abused or controlled by adults that way, I was approached, but I always got out of it. I know several children who were not so fortunate. This ranged from male teachers taking advantage of both male and female students to the night watchman who was known to push more than one girl up against the wall and attempt to have his way with them while making his rounds. One girl I know says she pushed him away and kicked him where none of us wished to be kicked. 
Another girl, who did not push him away, had a child shortly after she graduated. She committed suicide soon after that. This night watchman used to show the partially sighted boys pictures of naked women that he carried around in his wallet. He became a minister and was rewarded later in life for his adoption of several foster children. I have always wondered what happened to those kids. One of the teachers, a blind man who was an extremely good teacher and super intelligent, used to stand by his classroom door as students came to class to greet them. He put his arm around girls as they entered the room. One day, he obviously mistakenly put his arm around me and I swatted it away. A girl I knew had partial vision and did her best to duck under his arm. We all sat around the edges of the room, so it meant that one chair was conveniently placed near the teacher's desk. Obviously, there was always a girl sitting in that chair. Surely, some of the other teachers could see his arm going around these girls as they entered his room, but, to the best of my knowledge, no one ever said anything. Another teacher used to invite male students to his house for the weekend. Supposedly, he acted like a father figure, but later actions clearly proved that there was much, much more going on. Yet another teacher had one of the students come to his room after school hours under the guise of helping with Braille transcription. Additionally, one of the younger house parents was known to fondle the girls and to offer them alcohol on occasion. I never realized how rampant sexual abuse was at the time, but when I started working on my memoir, I was forced to confront these issues and more. Much, much more. I appreciate your frank discussion on this. You did an excellent job of bringing it forth as it should be. It takes a lot of courage to open up like that, and I'm sure you gave it much thought before you did that. Thank you. Of course, the other huge issue for many students who were not fortunate to be able to live at home while attending school was the feeling of abandonment that many of us felt, which scarred our lives for years to come. That is one of the main themes of my book. I hope that you will take it up sometime on one of your podcasts. Thanks very much for writing in, Dave, and for sharing that. It's not easy to talk about, but it is important that we talk about it. And you're right, I don't have first-hand experience of boarding at our school for the blind, but I have talked to people who did and got to understand the scars that they feel, that estrangement from family at such a critical time. I mean, when you take a five-year-old or a six-year-old and you send them to another part of the country, or if you're in a larger country, another part of the state, and you may only see your family three or four times a year, that is a huge wrench. I think the issue is, though, that we have not confronted in many Western countries that it takes a considerable amount of resources to educate blind kids properly. So now there's this philosophy that says every child has the right to go to their local school. And in principle, I agree with that. The trouble is, how do you make that right real? Because it's not just enough to say that every child has the right to go to their local school. We need to go further and say every child has the right to maximize their potential. And that's where at the moment we get stuck. Certainly in New Zealand, we have a lot of teachers who go from school to school teaching blind kids, and there may only be one blind child at one school and they spend some time there and then they head off in a vehicle and go to visit a child in another school. So 
I'm not criticizing the teachers at all. What I'm saying is that the system is grossly under-resourced. What happens to those students when that teacher isn't there? Well, what often happens is that they might get assistance from a teacher aide, but that teacher aide isn't a teacher. And the classroom teacher who's in front of that blind student is not literate in blindness terms. In other words, they don't know Braille. And so I'm concerned that you have a situation now where only the most capable kids or the most blind kids get Braille because Braille is considered time-consuming and resource-intensive. And Braille is often seen as an inferior solution to print. So you do see people who, even when the prognosis is that their vision is going to deteriorate further or their vision is not going to improve and they struggle to read the blackboard, they're not given access to Braille. And when they are, the instruction is too sporadic. So I'm certainly not hearkening back to the so-called good old days of schools for the blind, because <laughs> I did get a very good education there. And I was trying to make this point when I gave my evidence to the Royal Commission that it wasn't all hell for me. It was hell all the time for some people, but it wasn't for me, largely because I was a day student and I was so fortunate. I got a good education and I've got a lot to thank them for in that regard. So if we're going to send blind kids to local schools, we have to make really sure that the resources are put in place to make sure that that blind child has the chance to thrive and succeed and be literate. And if you're making that case to people on the left of the spectrum, that's the moral argument that you make, that everybody has the right to self-actualization and to maximize their potential. If you're talking to people on the right of the spectrum, it makes economic sense to do it too. Because if you invest in kids to maximize their potential, to be literate, to be functioning citizens in society, what are they going to do? They're going to go out, they're going to have a chance to be employed, they're going to pay taxes. So they will return that investment. And education is an investment. The stats are so clear. We know that there's a rampant unemployment problem in the blind community, but we also know that the unemployment rate among Braille readers is way closer to the national average, way closer. It is a very stark contrast. We've got to make sure that the resources are there to give blind kids instruction in Braille, quality teaching and literacy when it counts. I would welcome others' comments on this. What's on your mind? Send an email with a recording of your voice or just write it down. Jonathan at mushroomfm.com. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. Or phone our listener line. The number in the United States is 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-60-667-36. And just a content warning, there is some very strong language at the beginning of this post. Hey, Jonathan, it's Steve Bauer from right in the middle of the U.S. of A. in Wichita, Kansas. I have two issues that are driving the soup out of me and I'm I'm really tired of messing with them. First the iPhone. And I am running just the regular iPhone 13 with the latest iOS update. From time to time when I make certain requests using Siri, it does some weird things. It won't work. It gives me a message working on it and hang on and then it says something went wrong. 
And it could be even sending a text message, turning Bluetooth on or off, asking it to identify a song. And sometimes if I turn voiceover off using the switch on the side and turn it back on, it works. Other times, it won't. I have to power cycle the phone. Apple says it's probably because it has to go out to the internet. Well, if they're looking at my contacts to send a text message, it's not going to the internet. Now, granted, if it's going to identify a song, yes, that's probably going to the internet somewhere. So here's what it sounds like, and I will leave the pauses in there so you get the full effect. One sec. Still on it. Something went wrong. Please try again. So, rather irritating. The other thing is that notifications are really funky on this phone. And sometimes I don't get text notifications when messages come in. Other times, it's delayed until I do something on the phone. And all of a sudden, I get text message notifications, weather alerts, breaking news stories, different things like that. They all crash in at the same time. Sometimes... A long time, half hour, 45 minutes, an hour or two after they actually came to my phone. And I have no idea why all this is wrong. Apple says all of my settings are correct and it should be working fine. And it's not. The other thing is Sonos. They have really irritated me. I've got a Sonos beam in my living room and the uh, S1 speakers in the bedroom. And if I ask the uh, A-Lady to play, uh, say, a radio station, you know, Mushroom FM or whatever, when I'm ready to stop, if it's going through the TuneIn app, it won't stop. It just keeps playing, no matter what I say. I say, you know, stop or quit or shut down or <laughs> shut up, whatever. It won't stop playing the music. I have to load Pandora or maybe Sirius XM or something like that and let that start playing, then I can stop it. I do not have this problem with Echo devices. The Echo Dot or the Echo Tap works perfect. I can tell it to stop and it does. And Sonos refuses to give me the option to have a different wake word on the devices, which I think is really a mistake. So I'm at the point now where I'm thinking about adding another smart speaker to one of my rooms, and I'm not so sure it's going to be Sonos because they refuse to do something simple and offer a different wake word. Oh, anybody has any ideas? I'm all ears. Thanks, Jonathan. It must be really seriously bugging you, Steve, if you resort to such language that it's driving the s*** out of you. But we are brothers on this one, if it's any consolation, Steve, because I can reproduce every single thing that you are talking about. First of all, the Siri thing. And I have to say, I'm just running a lowly iPhone 12 Pro Max because I didn't feel compelled to upgrade to iPhone 13. But I've seen this, and it actually feels like Siri's getting worse lately. So I've had the, hmm, working on it, on it, and then eventually something went wrong for a wee while now. But something that's crept in lately is that it seems to be misunderstanding me more. It Reminds me of me. It's like it's developed a hearing impairment lately. And you tell it to open apps and do things with Siri shortcuts and things that have worked perfectly fine before. And all of a sudden they're not. And it's mishearing me. And I have no idea why that is. I would have thought, well, maybe it's the microphones in my decrepit ancient iPhone 12 Pro Max, except that other people are saying the same thing. Brian Williams is tweeting in and he's saying that he's found 
that Siri is misunderstanding him more as well. So Siri really is, of all the personal assistants, still the most unreliable and the most mediocre. You know, you ask it a simple question, it tells you it's found something on the web and take a look. That's if it's understood you at all. There just seems like so much work to be done with Siri. And it's a shame because they've squandered that advantage that they had when they launched Siri in 2011. People were so excited about it. We did a feature on the 10th anniversary of Siri's launch where we talked about has Siri evolved at the speed that you expected it to evolve? And I just don't think it has. It's really been a big disappointment. And the soup drinker and Google Home have eaten Siri's lunch well and truly. I can also reproduce your notifications issue. So here's my use case, and it could be similar to yours. I do not like my phone auto-locking. So one of the first things I do if I have to customize an iPhone, if for some reason I've reset all my settings and I'm setting up an iPhone as new, one of the first things I do is I go and I turn my auto-lock completely off so the phone doesn't lock unless I tap the power button. And then when I'm in the office, be it here at my home office or at my work office, I lie the phone on the desk The phone is connected to an external source, and maybe that's relevant. It could be my mixer, it could be a PodTrack P4, some sort of external source. And I'm just sitting there with the phone on the home screen. So if there are any notifications, I should hear them instantly. And usually I do. But every so often, I go through these long periods of silence where I just don't hear anything from my phone. And suddenly I realize that, you know, an hour An hour and a half may have gone by and I think, well, my phone's got quiet. And so then I do the home gesture. All I have to do is flick up and do the home gesture, even though I'm on the home screen. And all of a sudden, everything breaks loose. And like you say, you get this big diarrhea of notifications. I mean, that's what it's like. You just have notifications spewing out from everywhere because they've been pent up somehow. And you get this massive amount of notifications all coming through at once. And they're pinging and they're interrupting each other. And you eventually get caught up. Now, that actually can be quite a serious thing. If you're waiting for an important text message from someone and suddenly this notification comes through and you realize that you got the notification about 45 minutes ago, but it's only because you've executed the home gesture that the notification has come in. I don't think this is a voiceover problem because on some Apple publications, I have seen reference to this as well, but I don't know whether there's any way to fix it. In fact, I think I saw reference to the fact that Apple thought they had fixed this a while ago, but it certainly isn't fixed for me. So now I've gotten into the habit of performing the home gesture every so often, even when I don't need to, just to get my phone out of this state. It is not good if you can't rely on your notifications in that way. And yes, I can also reproduce your Sonos issue, but there are workarounds for that that are pretty easy. One is that you can install the Sonos app, which is a great app and gives you so much access. And what I find is if I go in there and the room is selected, and if you've only got a beam, then you'll only ever have your beam selected. Just go into the Sonos app and perform a two-finger double tap, and that will stop it. That doesn't mean to say that the soup drinker issue shouldn't be fixed. It should be fixed. And that's only happened fairly recently for me that that issue has started to happen. The other thing is, too, that because you have a beam, the H-E-Y Sonos should now be working. So you can say H-E-Y Sonos and then issue a stop command 
And I believe that will work as well. So there are a couple of workarounds potentially for that. I would be interested to hear what others have to say about your irritants because I share all of them, Steve. Which is why, in this particular instance, I think the expletive, the S word that you used, was appropriate. Here's a handy Wee Jaws tip from Mohammed who says, Hi Jonathan, in episode 189, you read out an email containing a question about Jaws' announcement of key presses. This person stated that she doesn't use the standard QWERTY layout on the keyboard, but a more ergonomic one. She might try to enable the unified keyboard processing setting in JAWS. This setting is not enabled by default, but if she turns it on in Settings Center, she might get better results. And it was Anne who had this issue. So Anne, here's the step-by-step from the source, from the source, no less. You press Insert and the number 6 on your number row to get into Settings Center. Alternatively, you can open Settings Center by pressing the JAWS key with F2 and press S until you hear Settings Center, then you press Enter. Next, press Ctrl-Shift-D to make sure you're in the default settings section. 3. In the search bar, type Unified. Press down arrow once, you should find the Use Unified Keyboard Processing setting. This is a checkbox, make sure it's checked. Press enter and Muhammad says you should be golden, golden I tell you. I seem to remember, he says, that the lady asking the question speaks German. I don't know what the setting is called in German, unfortunately. I hope this helps. Thank you, Muhammad. really appreciate that. I should have thought of that. I do find that when I turn on the unified keyboard processing, weird things can sometimes happen. So if you enable the setting and you find that things aren't behaving like they used to in a negative way, it might be worth just remembering what you did. This is actually a very good feature in Settings Center. You can go and look at the last settings that you change. There's a history there. So if JAWS is not behaving the way you want, you can go through and look at what did I recently change, so you can go through and unchange those things. Hey, Jonathan, it's Dawn from Ohio. I hope you're doing well and staying cool and dry in New Zealand. Over here in Ohio, it's been hot and humid in my area, although we did get some rain last weekend. First, big congratulations to you and Bonnie on becoming grandparents. Thank you so much, Dawn. It's super exciting. Also, congratulations go out to your kids on becoming an auntie and uncle. Yes, this is going to be new for Nicola and Richard. Heidi is already an auntie because she married Henry, the wonder son-in-law, and Henry comes from a large family, one of whom already has children. So Heidi's in the auntie groove already. I have two nieces, says Dawn, and I can tell you that being an auntie is one of the greatest blessings. It sure is. I mean, I I haven't been an auntie. I just have to say, I have been an uncle, though. Uh, I have got spotty nephew to put up with, unfortunately. But other than that, being an uncle's all right, really. (laughs) While I don't get to see my nieces often, I enjoy spoiling them rotten because As an uncle or auntie, that's what you're supposed to do. Quite right, too. As for resources for getting Braille with an uppercase B, I'm not sure if this is available in New Zealand, but I thought I'd mention it all the same. Braille Institute issues a catalogue four times a year, if memory serves me right. 
One of the sections in there is called Dots for Dots, which has books and activities for children all the way up to, I think, age six. It's free of charge, and you get a book and a kit with an activity for that book. It's in print and uncontracted braille, so the child can read with you. I got two kits for my youngest niece at the time, and she absolutely loved them, as did my brother and sister-in-law. Yeah, I've been to the Braille Institute, Dawn. They do some great work, and of course, they keep doing the Braille Challenge. It's so important to make sure that our youngsters are encouraged to read their Braille, sets them up for employment and literacy and lots of good things. And I'm pretty sure, was it the Braille Institute that published that anthology called Expectations? I think we may have talked about this on this show or the Mosin Explosion before. Expectations was so cool. And we used to get them every year at the School for the Blind in New Zealand. And we'd be so excited when the big shipment of expectations came and each student got a copy of it. And you know what we would do? You will know what we would do if you've ever read Expectations. The first thing we did was we would open the book, we'd find the middle of the publication because on that page were six things they called sniffables. This is the scratch and sniff thing. Actually, we did have quite a few scratch and sniff books at the School for the Blind. And you would scratch these things and get the aroma. Of course, if you did it too much, the smell eventually went away. But you had the scratch and sniff page. And then I think at the back of the book, they gave you the answers. And you had to see if you could guess the answers correctly. And there were some good stories. But, you know, we wanted it for the sniffables. (laughs) Now on to my question, says Dawn. I've been waiting for an appropriate time to ask this question. And finally, I just decided to ask. Absolutely, Dawn. Anytime's a good time to write into Mosin at large, I hope. I was wondering if you or your listeners had any recommendations for accessible mood tracker apps for iOS. I've been on the hunt for one for a while now because recent events in my life over the last couple of years have encouraged me to make my mental health more of a number one priority. And everything I've found is either completely inaccessible or you need to use so many workarounds that it defeats the purpose of the app. Yeah, because (laughs) if it's so inaccessible that it's difficult to use, you don't need a mood tracker to know that it's making you grumpy. (laughs) I've asked, says Dawn, around various places, but no one has had any answers. You and your listeners seem to always be able to answer the tough questions. Therefore, I'm reaching out to you all. Thank you very much for any and all help and recommendations. Well, thank you, Dawn. I'm going to be of no help. I've not explored the whole genre of mood tracking apps, which is interesting because health of all kinds is something I've got quite obsessed with over the last few years, but I haven't looked at this. First of all, obviously, you've been on a bit of a journey over the last couple of years, so I'm sorry to hear that. It sounds like you've been through some tough times, but congratulations on choosing to take control. That sounds like a very positive thing that you were doing there. I hope that somebody can help us. What does a mood tracker app do? Do do you record when you're feeling certain ways? What's the purpose of doing that? I guess it would be you learn what your triggers are. Is that right? I guess it would be. I need to research the whole mood tracker genre because it's not something I've thought about. So can anyone help? Dawn has set the bar high. 
She says the Mosin at Large audience can always answer the tough questions. Can you help with this one? Get in touch. 864-60-MOSIN on the phone in the United States. 864-606-6736. Or record something or email and send it in to jonathan at mushroomfm.com. It's always good to be able to bring you some positive accessibility news. And Scott David is doing that. He says, hi, Jonathan. I just wanted to write in and share the good news that the MyPhoneAc app for iOS and Android Android has become fully accessible to voiceover and talkback users. I'm able to change programs, control the volume of each hearing aid individually, and access more programs than what I have available on the hearing aids themselves. To my knowledge, this is the first hearing aid manufacturer that makes an app which does not have a feature that is inaccessible. I'd like to thank all of those who have provided feedback to Phonak concerning the lack of accessibility in previous versions. I'm very grateful to Phonak for making their iOS app accessible, but sad that other hearing aid manufacturers don't understand the value in doing so. All that said, it's a good day for my Phonak Paradise hearing aids, iPhone and i. Keep up the good work, Jonathan. Thanks, Scott. That's great to hear. I'm not aware of any features in my Otacon app that aren't accessible. I can manage the little EQ that it's got. I can change programs and it's even got IFTTT support and all of it's accessible to the best of my knowledge, but it's great that Phonak are there as well. The more hearing aid manufacturers we can get there, the better. Joe says, hi, Jonathan. I am writing in about the autocorrect feature in place when using Microsoft Word with JAWS. Simply, I think the feature is terrible. So many times it indicates the word is misspelled but doesn't correct it. And it doesn't correct it when my typing of the word is quite close to the correct spelling. Also, sometimes JAWS doesn't indicate that the word is misspelled even though it is. Does the spell correct feature reside with JAWS or with Microsoft Word? Is there any way to upgrade the autocorrect feature to something more powerful and more reliable? I know that I can run a spell check which would probably pick up these kinds of spelling errors, but that is another step to go through. It would be great if the corrections were done as you go. It would just be more efficient that way. Well, Joe, I have found that when I misspell a word in Microsoft Word, JAWS makes a sound. So Word identifies the misspelling, and what's happening on the screen is that there's a little wiggly line under the word telling you that it is misspelled. And if I type a misspelling, JAWS immediately makes a sound to tell me that I've typed a misspelling. Sometimes I'll go back and correct it. Sometimes Word corrects itself, and that is a Microsoft Word feature. And there are features that determine the autocorrect features in Word. It may be that you've got some of them potentially turned off. But quite a bit of the time, if I'm close, if I've just made a wee typo or something, autocorrect does kick in for me and correct the word. But nothing really takes the place of putting a document through a spell check. I don't think there's really any avoiding that. You can do that in a couple of ways. The new editor, that's what they call it, the Microsoft editor that pops up in Microsoft Word and it's now also in Microsoft Outlook is horrible in my view. I find it quite sluggish on a lot of machines. 
It's really unwieldy. It's really cumbersome. I just can't stand it. I wish I could get the old spellchecker dialogue back that was so much quicker and so much simpler. But you can press F7 and take yourself through that if you want to. You can also press insert with Z to get into the navigation quick key mode. And then you can press the letter M for mic. And the M is actually also for misspelled. And every time you press the letter M when you're in that navigation quick key mode, it will put focus on the next misspelled word. And you can bring up the context menu with the application key or shift F10 and make a selection from there to correct the word. So there are a couple of things that you can do in Microsoft Word to quickly go through spelling errors. We've talked on the podcast in the past about the need for accessible remote incident solutions. This is not just about helping people out with tech problems in your family or in your circle of friends, although that's a legitimate use case, but it could also open up all sorts of vocational prospects as well. We've known for a while, and I mentioned very recently, that numerous solutions, and I'm sorry, I reverted to habit when I mentioned RIM most recently on the podcast and said Serotech, but you know, old habits die hard. Numerous solutions have been working on a new version of RIM for some time, Remote Incident Manager. And to tell us about this, because I think it really is a significant development, we're joined once again by Mike Calvo and Matt Campbell. Welcome to you both. Who'd like to start us off on just telling me a little bit about RIM? Give me the elevator pitch. Hello, Jonathan. And hello, everybody. Basically, RIM started its journey many, many years ago in 2007. And the latest version is all cloud-based. It's all shiny and new. And I've been busy, but I'm about to get a lot busier now that uh, we've got it to public beta. More about that. But the guy who's been busy is Matt. So let me let Matt tell you all about what the new RIM has in store. Sure. So at the start of the year, when we were thinking about what we wanted to do next, we decided that we would go back to one of our products from our time as Saratech that hadn't got much love in a while. And when we last did significant work on Remote Incident Manager, uh, Windows XP was still actively being used. Uh, Windows 10 wasn't a thing yet. And the technology for things like sending audio over the internet and making direct peer-to-peer connections between two machines wasn't anywhere near as mature as it is now. So we decided that it was time to completely reimagine what RIM could be. And to back up a bit for those that aren't familiar with RIM in the first place. It's remote desktop access, similar to TeamViewer or LogMeIn or products of that sort, but fully accessible on both sides for both sighted and blind users. And one use case that we are particularly focused on in RIM is the case where a blind technician or trainer is supporting a sighted user. And the blind person obviously needs to have accessibility through speech or braille or both. But the sighted user, A, they shouldn't have to install a screen reader on their machine. And B, they shouldn't have to hear that speech output. And we do that through our own custom add-on for the NVDA screen reader. So in that particular use case, we are 
working exclusively with NVDA. But another use case, of course, that's very important is both blind and sighted technicians and trainers supporting blind people. And in that case, RIM works regardless of what screen reader or self-voicing applications such as Guide Connect or Kurzweil or any of those, the blind person might be running on their machine. And the way we do that is by sending all audio output from the default audio device on the remote machine across the connection. So that is one of our major uh, distinguishing features in RIM. Obviously, the overwhelming majority of blind people in a workplace environment are using JAWS. So I take it that there is some sort of technical limitation preventing that kind of service working in JAWS? Yes, there is a technical limitation that prevents us from doing that without working directly with the Sparrow. The problem there is that for the use case we were just talking about where the blind person providing support is running a screen reader, but the sighted end user is not, we need to send text-to-speech output commands across the remote connection and send those commands to the screen reader on the local machine. And while JAWS provides a very simplistic way of doing that, it's not full-featured enough for things like continuous reading, where the cursor follows the speech. But we are able to do that with our add-on for NVDA. Now, we would be open to working with Vespero on a solution for that, because as you said, Jonathan, we know that uh, JAWS is widely used in the workplace. But for now, we are just doing it with NVDA because that yep. is what enabled us to develop this solution independently. I want to be clear. It doesn't mean that we don't work in work environments that are using JAWS. It just has to do with, so for example, if you're working on the remote side and you're working with somebody, you know, and you want to navigate their machine, either you got to bring up JAWS on their machine if they have it, or you're going to end up using the NVDA equivalent, you know, the, on, on the controller side of the experience. The, I think the big thing though is here with, with RIM is we're going after both sighted and the visually impaired market. Our feature set is as compelling as a team viewer or that kind of a solution. Many uh, sighted folks have played with the solution thus far. It works for them just like the others do. So at this point, we could actually say to a company, hey, you have an IT department here and we are right now that I know of, we are the only accessible remote solution that works for both sighted and visually impaired IT professionals working side by side. Our pricing points are competitive. So why not? I mean, it's, it's time to kind of get out of just our, our small space here and say, you know what? We're a company that's, we're blind owned, blind run. We make stuff that really works good for blind people. And amazingly, it happens to work for sighted people too. Isn't it funny how it's usually the other way around? But in this particular case, you know, our solution can work side by side for sighted people and blind people to work in the same work environment. 
Obviously, for this to be successful, it's got to be easy to download, easy to install. It looks like you have spent quite a bit of time on thinking about that user experience because if somebody is not that tech savvy, they want somebody to help them. Actually, getting Rim on the PC in the first place may even be a challenge. Well, we have we have two ways of dealing with that. Of course, like you said, it's it's very easy to get the application installed, and and the cool thing is, of course, even if uh, if you're going to use the application repeatedly. In other words, you've got your, you got your PC guy. So your PC guy or gal goes and gets this piece of software installed on your machine. Now, whether you do it or you have that person install it for you, once you bring up RIM, the experience is just type in a keyword on the target side or the user side that the technician and you agree on. And once you do that and you hit enter, that's it. The, the technician is on your machine. And you can even set up times for that technician to go on your machine when you're not around and do their utility work or whatever at night. So the other way, of course, is that for software that requires remote support and they don't have a built-in solution, we're actually offering a library that can be embedded in other software so that they can provide this really easy, accessible support as well. And the big thing is with all of the other guys, you've got to kind of put in this username and a password and a this and a that. Here you put in a you know a word that you and me agree on. It could be one letter. That's it. And hopefully well, I, it's I, I think that probably won't last long if if usage increases. Yeah. Well one letter. Yes and no, because if you think about it, even if I mean the word is in existence between you and me or the letter for a couple seconds. And that's it. And once we use it it goes back into the pool again. So, I mean, even if you have thousands of people using the system at a time, the chances of our words crashing into each other are pretty minimal because they're in existence for such little time. To clarify the way it works, the controller, meaning the technician or trainer or whatever, enters the keyword first on their end and RIM tells them if it's already taken, but they enter it first to reserve that keyword and then they tell the end user to enter it and i also wanted to clarify mike was talking about the um, embedded use case for other software vendors and we're thinking in particular about programs such as uh, guide connect that want to offer a built-in remote support option and uh, guide connect currently uses team viewer but they could either include in the package or download on demand RIM instead and provide an even easier user experience for remote support. So when do those keywords expire? So, for example, I set up a remote session with my daughter Heidi to test this out with RIM, and I set up a keyword, which is a really simple keyword, actually, and it's a, it's, it's the name of a fruit. <laughs> How long is that good for? Like, if we connected again a week after, does that keyword no. still work? No, it's gone. It's, a, it's, no, it's gone a the moment time. you use it. Yeah, it's gone the moment you use it. We're currently working on a feature for unattended sessions where Heidi could give you permission to connect to her machine either anytime or at specific times. And in that case, you wouldn't use a keyword. You would have a list of machines that you're allowed yeah, to access unattended. And you could choose her machine from a list. But for the standard interactive use case where both sides enter a keyword, 
the keyword is invalidated as soon as both sides enter it. You could, of course, use the same keyword next time, assuming right. nobody else has taken it. The unattended thing is a really important use case, I think. For example, I'm getting ready to take this big trip away. I know that I will need to just keep track of the Mushroom FM PC when I'm in Europe. And so I log into my personal VPN, which has all sorts of encryption, and then I use remote desktop. And I don't particularly enjoy the remote desktop experience very much, but it works brilliantly with JAWS and I can get stuff done. Once you get this unattended session feature, do you see advantages of using RIM instead of remote desktop? Yes. My last several months at Microsoft during the pandemic, all of us remoted into our office PCs over RDP. And as I'm sure you know, Jonathan, if you need to listen to audio from the remote machine over RDP, it's not very high quality. It's laggy. Now, of course, with JAWS, JAWS has a special support for RDP where it can directly send the speech synthesis commands over the connection and have it synthesized locally. But with RIM, you can hear exactly what audio is being played on the Mushroom Pot machine, at least on the default sound card. And also with RIM, you were talking about uh, connecting to your VPN and then mm. doing RDP. Yeah. With RIM, as long as the Mushroom Pot machine is connected to the internet, you can connect to it, and usually that connection will be peer-to-peer, -peer, and the connection is end-to-end -end encrypted, so it's secure. Yes, obviously I wouldn't want to expose the remote desktop protocol port to the world, which is why I use a VPN, because there are all sorts of botty bots sure. scanning for those sorts of open ports ready to make mischief. So that's interesting. Let's talk about latency, if we could. One of the things that is definitely an issue in this part of the world, at least, with uh, JAWS Tandem, for example, is the lag. I mean, it's noticeably laggy. And if you have the uh, more advanced version of JAWS Tandem, that does offer a direct connection, Tandem Direct, it's called. What's latency like with RIM? Well, as I said, RIM makes the connection peer-to-peer -peer whenever it can. So the initial coordination of the connection where both sides enter the keyword and then they negotiate the method of connection with each other, that step is done through a central cloud service in the US. But once that negotiation is done, RIM connects peer-to-peer -peer whenever the network configurations on both ends allow it. Now, that doesn't require any ports to be open, but it does require the firewalls and uh, routers to support certain conventions around allowing the two ends to connect to each other using the protocol called UDP. And I won't get any more into it than that. If the peer-to-peer -peer connection doesn't succeed, then we have several relay servers located around the world and RIM will use the closest one. We have relays in Virginia and the US, Los Angeles, Toronto, Canada, London, Warsaw, Poland, Bangalore, India, Singapore, Sydney, and Sao Paulo, Brazil. 
Okay. And so, it will just, based on your IP address, work out which is the best server to use. Yes. Right. And remember, Jonathan, it's it, a majority of our signals go peer to peer. So if you're supporting someone, for example, in New Zealand and you can get the peer to peer, then you're going to get New Zealand. But if you don't, and we do need to go to a relay, instead of your packets going all the way back to St. Petersburg and then all the way back to New Zealand, they just go to Sydney. Number one, we have no way of getting in on your session, so your sessions are encrypted and totally private. Number two, we're seeing just double-digit ping results and and you know latency, uh, latency from uh, in milliseconds from most sessions, which is pretty darn amazing. What's the pricing structure for Rim? I'm glad you asked. Mm. Um, before I even get started, I just want to say how excited I am about what Numa has done. What Numa's doing is we're providing enterprise-level solutions. Uh, all of our cloud solutions are enterprise-level technology, and we're providing them in enterprise packaging, which is the way that a lot of this stuff should be paid for because it's used in professional settings. But we're not stopping there and pricing it out of the way of just mainstream consumers because we believe, as blind people ourselves, these are really important tools for us to have in our own toolboxes, right? So if, for example, with RIM, um, let's start with the consumer, with your situation. For example, you're this guy, you're going on vacation, you've got a few machines. We are going to be doing a package. This is after public beta. Right now we've got public beta going and it's probably going to go about till September 1st. And at that point, then the meter will go on, as they say, and we'll start charging people. But for now, you can use the system all you want, anybody, any way they want for free. That being said, so for a situation like yours, Jonathan, where you have a couple of different machines, maybe that's $25 a month or $250 a year for up to three machines, three what we call targets and one controller. And you can change those targets a few times a year. Obviously, you know, we don't want some enterprising uh, person to go and just switch machines around and, and uh, duck out of the pro package. So basically that would be either 250 a year or $25 a month. Let's say that you convince Ira to use this, which is actually an interesting question, because at the moment, what I often do is call Ira and I start a team viewer session with them, and I have an mm -hmm. agent assist me through some sort of inaccessible process. So it seems to me that getting Ira on board and embracing RIM would be quite a win. If I'm just an end user who wants other people to uh, take control, presumably it is free to do that. Yes, it, it is free for you to install it on your machine, uh, whether you're a user or not. It's free to install, and then, and then it's just sitting there, and you can wait, and when you're ready to, when you, know, you just click a button and type in your keyword and go. Uh, the people that provide services are the ones that pay, not the people who use services, you know what I'm saying, who use support. Which brings me, of course, to the people who provide support, your friendly neighborhood IT guy or gal who provides not only support uh, to blind people, training them with JAWS and audio technology and all kinds of good stuff. We were doing some testing with the L Braille uh, and having some fun with that during our, uh, our beta test cycle. And that particular package is $99 a month or $999 a year for one technician and he can have as many targets or as many customers that he wants to or she wants to access it's just what we call one channel of service very similar to a phone line you got one 
one channel. And that's the way, in fact, we price enterprises by the number of channels, not by the number of installed seats that they have. That makes sense. Yeah. And I know that uh, Brian Harchin has been talking very positively about RIM and uh, yes, he the, has. The, the new version. So uh, I, I think we will see this being embraced in the blind community. It's going to be a hard slog, right, to try and get cut through into the mainstream market. But it, it definitely sounds like there's a product there that has mainstream potential. Well, I don't. I, I think so. I think it's hard. I don't think it's going to be hard just because we're breaking into the mainstream. I just think it's a very difficult time in general for businesses to really kind of see where things are going. It's, it's a time, obviously Matt and I as, as technologists are kind of trying to recreate ourselves in that we're doing technology that fits today. It's, it's yesterday's technology idea, but packaged for today's marketplace. And, and that includes some mainstream components, of course, but I think that it's just a, an interesting business world out there. And I say that to preface that, folks, we need you. We need your support. We need our community to do what we all used to do way back when. And I, I feel an old song coming on, but I won't do it, I promise. But where we would really help each other to advocate. And Jonathan, I applaud what you do every week. Um, I, I don't know how you do it. Uh, I don't know uh, if you have a clone brother somewhere or, or whatever. I'm but uploaded I have no to idea. the cloud, dude. I, I, I have no idea, but mm. it's amazing. I I thank you uh, for what for what you and and the community does, and we need more of that. We need more participation. Use the technology. Uh, yes, it's great when companies buy this technology for us. It's great when when screen readers became free or darn near close to free. But before that, that didn't stop us from going out and obtaining a screen reader and using it. So as a company, we want to ultimately help, you know, the enterprise provide these services for free or very close to it to their customers, because I think it's the right thing for them to do. And I think it's inclusive for their customers to be thought of and embraced in that way when been being supported, whether it be technical support or documentation or meetings, whatever they are. But that doesn't stop us as individuals to have that and say, you know, that's a great product for you guys, but I just happen to have a personal version right here that I can use today. <laughs> so yeah. please do try the technology and then let us know. We want to know your experience. And you know what? If it's too expensive, let us know. At the end of the day, we're here to serve our community and we're blind first. We're not going to do something that is going to cripple our community uh, financially from having access to a product that's going to liberate us as a community technologically or technically, I'm sorry. Now, I tell you what I want, what I really, really want. One of the things I find I have to do, and I don't mind it because I've got this really cute, light ThinkPad X1 Carbon, but sometimes when I'm taking a trip overnight, I take my laptop specifically just in case I have to do some maintenance on the Mushroom FM PC. Otherwise, I'd just take my cell phone and my Mantis and I'd be up and running. Will there ever be a way to get into a PC using RIM from my iPhone? It's certainly on our wish list. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know when we will be able to get to it. Yeah, it's more it's I more than that though. I, he's he's being he's being cagey people. No, it 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 is more than on our wish list. It's 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 on our roadmap. But the reality is that there's only one of him 
And yep. um, while it's possible technically, you know, this is where I say, hey, the more you buy, the more people we can hire to work on this stuff. And that's really what it comes down to. But yes, there's, there's unlike before, there's absolutely no reason, Jonathan, why you shouldn't be able to do that in an accessible way. Yeah, that would be quite impactful. Obviously, there are some key mapping issues, I presume, and various things of that nature, but they're not insurmountable, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah. And I mean, when you, when you talk about that, you're talking about, you know, for example, for, for Mac as well. I mean, mm. you know, uh, supporting, supporting people on Macs is great. And that, that is something that's probably being real honest. Mac support is probably ahead of cell phone support when we do release it, but I don't know when. So this you know, is right Windows now, for now. Yeah, it yes. is Windows for now. Right. That's an important point. How can people kick the tires and give this a go and then give you feedback? Because that's what the testing process is all about, right? You want people to find any yep, fish. Absolutely. To, we, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. We want you guys to pound the heck out of this thing. Use it. Use it. Support your grandma. Support your kids. Support your cat and dog. Whoever. Go to RIM. Support go people in RIM. corporate environments so we can tell yes. whether whether the relays actually get used. Yeah. But, go uh, to. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you go to getrim, G-E-T-R-I-M dot app, A-P-P, getrim dot app, there you will find all the information you need. All you need to do is read the little blurb on the page so you can know what you're doing and know where you're at, download and install the software, and it will lead you from that moment. It will lead you down the primrose path of accessibility. (laughs) Yeah. It is pretty easy to do. You know, when Heidi and I had to play with this, I said, oh, you know, Mike and Matt are at it again. We've got to test this thing. And uh, it was very, very easy to get going. And that's so important in a product like this. So it's a good user experience. It's kind of like it comes up in a web page environment when you run the app. Yeah, well, it it is based on Electron, which is Matt's favorite development environment. Right. It's not. It's yeah, that not that's basically an embedded Chromium engine. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, it, Matt, it's Matt, all Matt, web, Matt. It's all web. It's a love. It's a love hate relationship between Matt and uh, and Electron. <laughs> uh, but but no. But but I mean seriously though, it the the product is solid. I think that its ease of use and the fact that we focus on the usability for a person with a disability. So I can see a day where the client is voice enabled. So a person that does not have use of their hands can wake it up. I mean, how does that work? If you could be notified and just say, you know, yes, open the connection for the technician or whatever. Um, or even if you could, if you could get somebody like an IRA to go on your machine and do some stuff for you, because I'm sure that folks that are going hands-free on their computer have spots where they don't have access and they need that one. Like we need the eyeballs every once in a while. They need a, a helping hand. No, no pun intended people. I can see this, this technology really growing into what a remote support system is supposed to do for everybody, including people with disabilities. And just clarifying the point, if I go in with JAWS or, for that matter, Narrator, and there's another JAWS slash Narrator user, in fact, it can be either or. Like, So I, I could be running JAWS and the other person could be running Narrator. I will hear their speech, all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. as long as everything's coming through the primary sound device for now, correct? For That's now. That's correct. We hear you, Reaper peepers. I'm a Reaper user myself. Absolutely love it. It is a learning curve, like you said the other day, but 
but I, I've, I've learned to love it. But we will be dealing with, uh, with that multiple sound card issue very soon. And again, we, we expect to have a lot of this stuff hammered out by release, but definitely within the first, first couple of weeks of release. Like I said, we're releasing on September 1st. You're going to get, uh, email from us if you set up. I mean, we're going to be active with you guys in your testing. We're going to reach out to you. We're going to ask you to give us information. We're going to try and pitch you to buy it, <laughs> you know, so don't be surprised if you sign up and we send you an email. Uh, we're not going to sell your email. We're not going to do anything, but we are definitely going to find out what your reaction is. It's the only way that there is to do that. Yeah. And I mean, so, when you're testing a product, you do expect engagement with the developers because that's what testing's about, right? It's a commitment. Oh, you'd be surprised how angry. Why are you calling me? I'm just. <laughs> oh. yeah, very good. All right. Well, thank you both very much for coming on. I look forward to seeing how this develops. And I think the library in particular is is quite exciting because you never know where Rim might be popping up in particularly in the first instance, blindness-related apps in the near future. So congrats on what you've done so far, and we'll follow up with interest. Thanks. Have a great vacation. Yeah, I tend to. Be the first to know what's coming in the next episode of Mosin at Large. Opt in to the Mosin media list and receive a brief email on what's coming so you can get your contribution in ahead of the show. You can stop receiving emails anytime. To join, send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. That's media-subscribe at mosen.org. Stay in the know with Mosin at Large. Since recording that interview with Mike and Matt, they have announced that they are going to offer 30 minutes of rim access free per day, which I think is incredibly generous, and that should meet many people's needs who just need casual assistance. Christopher Wright has been trying RIM, and he says, Hi, Jonathan, I nearly cried the first time I tried Remote Incident Manager. This is a fantastic product that has the potential to open all kinds of opportunities. As long as the price is reasonable, I'll subscribe in order to support this amazing work. The ability to control other computers that don't have screen readers installed is a major game changer. It's sad this came from a small company like Numa Solutions rather than entities like Microsoft who have more than enough resources to pull this off. But I'm glad this is an option. If only it had been around many years ago. Well, Christopher, I'm glad you're happy with it. And I think this is yet another example of blind people taking control of our own destinies and devising solutions to solve real problems that we have with technology. I've been having a play with RIM from Numa Solutions over the last few weeks, and the more I've used it, the more blown away I've become by how powerful this thing really is. And I hope that it gains a lot of traction, not just in the blind community, but also in the mainstream. Remember, you can download this and kick the tires for free while it's in the beta period right now. To do that, you go to getrim.app, that's G-E-T-R-I-M dot app you'll download a file that's about 50 odd megabytes run that file it will install rim and then you'll be invited if you just need remote assistance to press the button to get it it's that simple if you want to be a controller and remote into other people's computers there is a sign-in process you will need to create an account if it's the first computer on which you are using rim 
and you enter your email address, you then receive an email with a code. This is a new form of authentication that's becoming increasingly popular now. And for applications like this, it works really well. Once you've got your account, you can also associate your cell phone with the account. And then when you add subsequent computers as a controller, you'll get a text message to authenticate. When I install RIM on other people's machines who I want to assist, what I've taken to do is assigning Control-Alt-R to the desktop shortcut. And I hope that Numa Solutions actually adds this by default because we are talking about people who may be challenged when it comes to technology. And if you can just tell them to press Control-Alt-R, then they can get into RIM. Of course, that doesn't preclude them from finding the RIM icon on the desktop if they want to do it that way. And then you're taken to an edit field where you type in the keyword. So it's very simple. Now let's explore some scenarios that I think are quite common use cases for RIM. The first one is perhaps the most exciting, and that is controlling a sighted person's computer without a screen reader running on the sighted person's side. As you heard during the interview with Mike and Matt, at this stage, this only works with NVDA. So I have NVDA running, and I have tried this before recording. The first time I tried it, I was invited to install the add-on which makes this kind of remote access possible. It was a very simple case of just accepting the permission. The add-on was downloaded and installed. Totally seamless, very simple to do. Now that I've done that with NVDA running, I'm going to press Control-Alt-R, which is the shortcut that I have set up for RIM. Taskbar, remote incident manager, provide remote help document, main landmark, table, keyword, edit row one blank. Because the last time I used RIM, I was the controller and I'm already logged in, I'm taken to the screen where I can type in a keyword, which I can then give to someone to control their computer. But if I tab around the screen, we'll see what else is here. Start voice conversation checkbox not checked. I'm going to check this box because it means that while we have a RIM session going, I can talk to the person whose PC I'm controlling. This is great not just for having a conversation when you're troubleshooting something technical, but it also makes it ideal for tutorial sessions if you're giving one-on-one -on -one support to someone teaching them technology. I'll check this box. Checked. And as we'll hear, the quality of the VOIP is very good. It's very similar to Zoom. Start button. There's a start button, but I'll keep tabbing. Start an unattended session instead button. We're going to look at using an unattended session a little bit later when we investigate controlling the mushroom pot computer using RIM. I'll tab. Receive help instead button. I can switch this so that I'm receiving help instead. If I do that, we'll get a different screen and I will be invited to enter a keyword that has been provided by someone so that they can control my computer. I'll press tab. Log out button. And we can log out of the session. Tab again. Cancel button. Main landmark. Table. Tab one more time. Keyword. Edit row one blank. And I'm now back to the field where I can type in a keyword. This can be anything. I can make this up. And I'm going to type banana one because I'm going to control Heidi's computer. And if you've been listening to the Mosin explosion over the years, you'll know that I have four children and I call them the bananas, you know, one banana, two banana, three banana, four. And she is banana number one. So I have typed in the keyword banana one and I'm going to press enter. Sending request. Please wait. Waiting for the other user to enter the keyword. Remote incident manager. Provide remote help document selected. 
I'm now going to pause the recording and I'm going to send Heidi a text message inviting her to run the RIM application and when she's asked to type in a keyword, type banana1. She will press the start button and all being well, we'll get the connection established and we'll have a voice channel where we can hear each other. I paused my recording. I sent the text. She acknowledged receipt of the text. So now we will wait to have her log in for the remote session. She's going to enter banana one on her computer. Remote session. Remote session. Hello. No screen Welcome. On the remote machine. Welcome. A lot of things happened there. So it said remote session. And then it told me that no screen reader was running on the remote machine. This is something that's quite interesting to get your head around with RIM in that you could be logged into a machine where someone is running a different screen reader from you and it doesn't actually matter. Well, it may matter if you don't know how to control that screen reader (laughs) and what controls to use. But essentially, when you log into the machine, because by default you'll be hearing what's coming through the sound card, you can just use any screen reader that happens to be running on the system's PC. And that means that you can do this and run Narrator, which is on everybody's Windows PC, and control it that way. Another thing that happens that I've got disabled right now because I see it every time is that when you connect, a little dialog pops up and it tells you that to engage with certain options for the session or to exit the session, and this is the only way that you can exit the session, you've got to use the command Windows Shift Escape. What happens at your end if you press Windows Shift Escape, Heidi? Uh, If I press, well, first of all, it didn't tell me about pressing Windows Shift Escape. Okay, well, it told me, well, it did if I, until I told it not to tell me again. Yeah. (laughs) And when I press Windows Shift Escape, I get an end remote control session option. Right. And that's it. Okay. I'm going to press Windows Shift Escape at my end now. So if I arrow around here, I press Windows D to go to the desktop. We're not hearing anything because there's no screen reader running and RIM told me that. But if I press Windows Shift Escape, I'll get speech from, in this case, NVDA, which is running on my computer. Menu selected submenu. Minimize session one of seven. If we minimize the session, then we'll go back to my desktop and I can do ordinary things with my computer on the local side here and I can alt tab back into the session at any time. Flip session two of seven. If I flip the session, then Heidi will be able to control my computer. The roles will be reversed. Stop voice conversation three of seven. We can stop the voice conversation. If we don't want to hear you anymore, Heidi, I can press enter here. And you will oh, be no. gone. Yes, I'll still Don't be. I'll still be controlling your computer, though. Uh, we're down arrow. Start remote accessibility four of seven. We're going to go back and have a look at this in a moment. This is the NVDA add-on, which means that you can have speech on someone's computer without them even having a screen reader running. Request unattended access five of seven. If I request unattended access then Heidi would have to give the okay to this, but then it would mean that I can log into her computer at any time. This is great for unattended sessions, such as the one we'll look at later, when I want to control the Mushroom Pot, the computer that runs Mushroom FM. Connection detail six of seven. We can go into this section to have a look at the connection, whether it's peer-to-peer or relay, the latency, various useful things for troubleshooting. And session seven of seven. Finally, we can end the session. So I'm going to up arrow. Connection detail six of seven. Request unattended access five of seven. Start remote accessibility four of seven. And choose start remote accessibility. Remote session document. No screen reader is running on folder view list. Remote incident manager not selected seven of seven. Remote accessibility is active. 
Now it says remote accessibility is active and I believe I'm on Heidi's desktop and remote incident manager has the focus. So our around. What does that do? That is a video editing software. Oh, fair enough. Trimming the video without losing video quality. That's a good idea. Discord 507. Oh, you're on the Discord. Yes. Excellent. Steam 407. So the latency is really not too bad. And I will go to the start menu. Start window. I can type Edge. Microsoft Edge. Press enter. It really does feel. Microsoft Edge window. App bar toolbar. Addresses. Like I am just using a computer that is right here. There's no lag, there's no latency. And it's important to stress that because I'm using this add-on, Heidi is not running a screen reader. She is not hearing any of the speech that we are. As far as she's concerned, I could be a sighted technician troubleshooting on her computer. There's no need to disclose blindness at all if you don't want to, because you're hearing your speech. She is not. She has no idea that I'm a screen reader user. Both of us have control of the computer at the same time. It's kind of like we're both sitting at the keyboard of the machine. I'm now going to bring up that menu by pressing Windows, Shift, and Escape. Menu selected, submenu. And down arrow. Minimize session one of six. We'll minimize the session. Taskbar. I'm going to go to Notepad. Start window. Notepad. Untitled Notepad. And I'm going to type some text. This is a test. Welcome. And we'll just read that. This is a test. Welcome. I'll copy it to the clipboard. This is a test. And now I will go back into the session. Remote session. Remote session. So now I'm on Remote Heidi's computer. I will go to the start menu. Search window. And Search notepad. Notepad. App. Untitled notepad. Text so editor edit multi. You see that notepad's open on your computer, Heidi? Yeah, it's just a blank yep. untitled notepad. This is a test. And now it says, Welcome. this is a test. Welcome. There we go. So I pasted material from my computer into Notepad on Heidi's computer. And the latency, I mean, it's really quite responsive, given that it's coming across the internet. It's a peer-to-peer connection, and we're just across the other side of town from one another. But it's still really responsive. And so that's the way that you can control a sighted person's computer without them having a screen reader running. I'll press Alt F4. Notepad dialog. Do you want to save changes to untitled nope. desktop list? Thank you very much for helping us out with that, Heidi. It's got all sorts of potential benefits, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Thanks to Heidi for helping us out with that. I stopped the recording and closed the session from the menu that I got to by pressing Windows, Shift and Escape. Bonnie tells me that she doesn't really mind that I'm not particularly handy with plumbing or building or any of those things. As long as I can keep her technology up and running and functioning, I'm worth having around. It's good to have a purpose, I tell you. So I am often found doing little tweaks to Bonnie's computer. She's using an HP Spectre laptop at the moment, and I'm trying to keep it in good shape. And so I have installed RIM on Bonnie's HP Spectre computer, and I've assigned Control-Alt-R to launch it. Bonnie is, of course, running a screen reader. She is running JAWS, and that means we don't need to have the feature where we control somebody's computer without a screen reader running. She will be running JAWS. So I've loaded JAWS again, and we've got the Daniel voice for JAWS. Desktop one. And I'm going to press Control-Alt-R, because I've set that up. And we're going to launch... Taskbar. Remote Incident Manager 010. Provide remote help. 
Feedback Remote Incident Manager document. Now in this case, I do need to press enter. That has turned forms mode on and I can type in a keyword. Since it's Bonnie, I'm going to type in the keyword beautiful. And I'm now going to send her a text inviting her to press Control alt r on her computer to launch RIM and then type the word beautiful and press enter. Oh, I'd better press enter too, in fact. Remote incident manager. Provide remote help document. So we're waiting for Bonnie to connect. Taskbar. Remote session. Remote session document. And it said remote session. And we did not hear that a screen reader is running, but this seems to be unique to Bonnie's computer. Welcome, Bonnie. Hello. How's it sounding? Good. Good. Sounds really good. Now, if I go to the desktop, I'll just check we might already be there. Yes, we are. So what we're hearing now is Bonnie's eloquence, TTS. I was running Daniel, but now that we're using Bonnie's computer, we hear that Bonnie's running eloquence. And it sounds a little bit kind of grainy, and that is because what we're hearing now is the audio from Bonnie's sound card. It's coming down the internet as a fairly low bitrate compressed stream because if that were not the case, that would increase latency. And I can check the time, for example. 3.33 p.m. 3.33 p.m. Okay, and it's uh, it's reasonably snappy. JAWS, PC. And now if I go to the start menu. Search box edit. And we can go to Edge, for example. Microsoft Edge, Micro Edge, Enter, Desktop, Folder View, List View. Now we are hearing audio from the sound card. So what I'm going to do while I'm on Bonnie's computer is go to YouTube, Bonnie. Okay. Okay, so. Com, enter, loading page, HTTPS slash slash www.youtube.com, Microsoft Alert, install YouTube app. No, we don't want to do that. So now if I navigate by hitting. Descriptions. Explore. More from YouTube. Female Hannibal Lecter given the world's youngest serial killer by Eleanor Neal one year ago, 32 minutes, two minutes. Well, you'd be interested in that, Bonnie. <laughs> That's so great. Great. Sounds like your sort of thing. Dry crime. Yeah. yeah. And Dash the Devil came up to Boston Video Adam Ezra Group Link. Well, that's nice. <laughs> I think it's a parody. I'm sure it is. We'll press oh, enter. Okay. So obviously, Bonnie's hearing her own speech. I'm hearing it too. Press enter. If you're sick, get tested and rug up at home. And there's the ad. So I'm hearing all the audio that's coming through Bonnie's computer. Here I am. I'll press Alt F4. Now, let's try something incredibly fun. I'm going to press the JAWS key with F4. And now I'm going to press Control, Windows, Enter, and that should load Narrator. Narrator heading level one. Welcome to Narrator. This is So here I am with JAWS running on my computer, but I'm controlling Narrator on Bonnie's computer, and I can go to the Start menu. Start window. Search. And navigate Search around. Box. Microsoft's and of course, Bonnie has full control at all times. She can use her keyboard too. She can end the session. I'll exit narrator. Exiting narrator. And there we go. So what do you think of this, Bonnie? It's cool. Yeah. You... Oh, but I had to put JAWS back on. Oh, well, okay, if you like. <laughs> we'll just go to the run menu and press enter. And uh... Yeah, it's Lisa very cool that you can see what's Jaws, going on on the computer. So you can control things on there. Yes. It's, yeah, so it really would be a great thing for AT people to have and, you know, sighted relatives even. And it's simple or to set up, isn't it? Yeah, very easy to set up. I mean, I was just able to let you know what the code word is and you can make up the code word and you just type that in and here we are and I can provide remote assistance. 
And there are definite advantages in not having a remote session closely associated with whatever screen reader you happen to be running. For example, let's say that you're working on someone's machine and you need to do some things that require a restart of JAWS. It could be, for example, that you are installing a set of scripts that make changes to the default, and the best way to ensure that those changes have taken is to quit JAWS and start it again. If you do that from a JAWS tandem session, you've lost the tandem session, and you have to reestablish another one. But because this is completely screen reader agnostic, you can quit JAWS and start it again. As we just did, you can even change screen readers. If you're trying to do something and you think, okay, this isn't working with the screen reader I happen to be running, maybe I'll try another one and see if I can get this to work, or maybe I want to do some comparisons. You can do all of that because RIM is not tied to a screen reader. Now, we can also flip this. So let's see if we can make this work. I'll go to the menu here by pressing Windows Shift Escape. Context menu, minimize session, one of six. And what we hear now is Daniel because this is on my computer. Flip session, And two I'm going to choose flip session. Leaving menus, remote session document. The oh, remote session has flipped. I can... Yep, I can hear it. You can hear Daniel? I did, and yeah, he's not talking now. Okay, so it. try pressing the start menu key. Search box edit. Okay, and so yep. now you're controlling my computer. Okay, so I can look for... Imported from Chrome. File folder and links. Last modified. 7 slash 22 slash 2022. 8.28 p.m. Press right to switch preview. I see what you're doing there. You're looking for Google Chrome on my ThinkPad, but I don't have Google Chrome on my ThinkPad. I've switched exclusively to Microsoft Edge, so no Chrome on there. But there you go. It does work. Yeah. <laughs> so now we've flipped the session. Cool. Now if I press Windows Shift Escape. Context menu. End remote control session. One I can one. end the session. The only option I have now is to end the session because it's been flipped. So Bonnie is now in control and she would have the full menu. But I'll exit the session at this end and I will say okay. goodbye because when I exit the goodbye. session, Bonnie, you'll be hung up on. Hung up on. Right. Thank you, everybody, for good, listening good, to the demo. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Leaving menus. Period. T. Desktop. Folder view list view. Station playlist remote VT. Are you there, Bonnie? Hello? Nope. She's really gone. And that's the end of the session. So it's pretty easy to flip the session as well. The final thing I wanted to demonstrate is something that I've already set up and that I've already been playing with. And this is the ability to set up an unattended session. As we discussed in the interview, this is a replacement for Microsoft Remote Desktop. And I must admit, it is so much easier and it's really simple to get going. What I'm going to do is invoke RIM once again. Taskbar. Remote Incident Manager 0100. And I'm going to tab. Start Voice Conversation Checkbox Not Checked. Start Button. Start an Unattended Session Instead Button. Here's Start an Unattended Session Instead. To recap how you get this going, you would initially make a connection the way that we've just done both with Heidi and with Bonnie using a keyword. When that connection has been established, you invoke the RIM menu by pressing Windows Shift Escape and then you choose Request Unattended Session. What will happen then is on the target computer, a dialogue will pop up, and it will say that Jonathan has requested unattended access to this and essentially warn you that somebody could drop in at any time. Are you absolutely sure you want to do this? If you choose yes, 
then any computer that the controller is logged in from will have access to the PC. So it's really simple to set up and very effective. So let's press the space bar on this button. Target machine, list box item, mushroom bit, one of one. The only one that I have configured at this point is the mushroom pot, so I'll activate that. Start button, remote incident manager, provide remote help document, desktop, session. folder view, list view, station playlist, remote VT, 16 of 33, remote session, remote session document. Now I'm in the remote session, I'll press the JAWS key with T. Desktop one. And I'm at the desktop. And if I check the time, this clock is on Eastern US time. And so that's correct. And Eloquence is it, you know, a reasonable clip, not super fast, but not super slow either. I'm going to Alt Tab into Station Playlist Studio, which is obviously running on the Mushroom Pot. Scripts for Station Playlist Studio version 6.0. Produced by Archon Consultancy are loaded. Insert for help. Insert F1 for user guide. Station Playlist Studio Pro Jonathan Mosin. List view. Neil Diamond. When Station Playlist Studio comes up on the Mushroom Pod, it comes up muted because it's playing out directly to the stream. But I can unmute it at any time and hear what's going on if I were plugged in via headphones. And I can do that very easily using RIM. So I'll press Control-Shift-U, which is a Station Playlist Studio command to unmute. <laughs> There it is. Coming down in stereo, and it's all possible to hear what's going on. I'll go back to the desktop. And this happens automatically now. After the mushroom pot has rebooted, it's still there. I can come back in, and it's a very easy way to get unattended access to this machine. I'm going to end the session now. I'm going to press Windows Shift Escape. Context menu. Minimize session. One of three. That beep you heard, by the way, came from the mushroom pot as well. It is telling me that there is 30 seconds remaining of the track that is playing now. Connection details. Minimize session. One of three. End session. Three of three. I'm going to choose end session. Leaving menus. Desktop. Folder view list view. And I'm back to my desktop. So this is room still in beta. A really exciting product. I like using this thing. It's easy to use. It's got some good features. And the first thing I hope is that Ira will adopt RIM so that I can ask for a RIM session, which is superior in every respect to TeamViewer from an accessibility point of view and from other points of view as well. So to participate in the beta, kick the tires for free. Head on over to getrim.app. Judy Carroll is writing in again, and she says, Hi, Jonathan. Love your podcast. Well, thank you so much. I listen every week, she says. I would like to leave a review. For the life of me, I cannot figure out how to leave a podcast review. I googled the issue, but never seem to have the same options on my screen that the instructions reference. Is this something you might cover for us? I still prefer to listen on my Victor stream. No pesky interruptions there but I could get to the podcast on my Apple Podcast app to leave a review. Thanks for all your detailed help for us technically challenged. Well, thank you so much, Julie. It's good to have you listening. It sounds like you are asking me to open the Apple Podcasts app. And I want to be really upfront. I think that the Apple Podcasts app is probably the worst podcast experience that is accessible on the iPhone. Whether you choose Castro, which is my personal favorite, 
or overcast or downcast or pocketcast, you can do so much better than the Apple Podcasts app. That said, with the subscription features that Apple Podcasts now have, there are some premium content podcasts that you can only get through Apple Podcasts. And I really lament this. I think it's important that podcasts be open, available on whatever podcast app you choose. I think that's fundamental to the ethos of what podcasting is supposed to be. Anyway, having had that rant, let's see if we can figure this out. So before recording this, I subscribed to my own podcast, to Mosin at Large, in the Apple Podcasts app. And I think that is critical. Now, in Apple Podcasts, they now don't talk about subscribing to podcasts. They talk about following. I believe you may need to follow the podcast before you can leave a review and that may be a kind of a safety thing, a security thing, to try and make sure that those who are leaving reviews actually hear the podcast. And that'd be nice. So let's assume that you have subscribed or followed Mosin at Large in the Apple Podcasts app. I'll go there now. Open Podcasts. Sticky note. Why is it saying that? Tab bar, search, tab, selected, library, All tab. Right. I don't know why it said sticky note, but we're in the library tab now, and I will go to the top of the screen. More, button, library, heading, latest episodes, button, downloaded, button, saved, button. I'm just flicking right. Recently updated, heading, Mosin at large, updated Sunday, button, sticky note. There is the Mosin at large podcast, and it was updated on Sunday because I'm in New Zealand. So Mosin at large does come out on a Sunday morning, New Zealand time. I'll double tap that. Podcast artwork, image, sticky note. Goodness knows why it is saying sticky note, but ours is not to reason why. What we can do now is navigate by heading, and you could use the rotor to navigate to headings if you have your rotor set up this way. I actually use headings so often on my iPhone that I have assigned the two fingers flick right and left gesture to navigate by heading. So that's how I'm going to do it. Ratings and reviews, heading. And there it is, ratings and reviews. If I flick right, 5.0 out of 5. Five stars, 100%. Four stars, 0%. Three stars, 0%. Two stars, 0%. One star, 0%. Well, that's nice. I'll continue to flick right. Three ratings. Tap to rate. And you can rate the podcast here by tapping here. Star rating, zero stars. Highly recommended, five stars, four while go. Voozer 50, if you are interested in blindness related. Okay, we've got some reviews here. I'll keep flicking right. Write a review. And there's the magic button you're looking for. Write a review. So if I double tap. Cancel button. And flick right. Write a review. Heading. Send button. Rating. Zero stars. Adjustable. There's the rating again. So if you want to, I'd be honored if you'd flick up to five stars. Title, text field. And then you've got your title, review, optional. And the text of the review, text field. And that's all we have. The save button is at the top. So that is how you leave a review in Apple Podcasts, Julie. And for those who would like to, I would certainly be most grateful for your five-star review. That beautiful music serenades a beautiful Bonnie Bulletin with the beautiful Bonnie Mosin. Welcome. Kia ora. There's been a bit of friction in the studio here as we record a bit of friction because Bonnie's vociferously complaining about the plush 
chair. It's not a plush that she chair. has to sit on. It is a lawn chair, and it's a one of those old-fashioned lawn chair with uh what is this stuff called? The actions have consequences because you moved out of this office. Yes, because you didn't want me in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard for you to be prattling away on your keyboard. I know. When, when you, I'm recording, isn't it? Well, you it? have important things to do during the day too. So when I work from home and of course during the whole pandemic, I couldn't have worked in here because you were trying to keep an organization afloat and I was calling people all day. So yeah. it wouldn't have worked. Any- so, so you have now established another office in I have. I have the smallest bedroom, which I'm very happy about because it's very sunny and has a nice view of the neighbor's trampoline. and Which you can't set, see. Which I can't see, but I can hear the kids playing, the girls out there playing. And thinking about doing some more decorating, we have a twin bed in oh, there. No, no, this is news to me. <laughs> so I've been thinking about it for a while. We have a twin bed in there and um, thinking about maybe we should get a sofa, like a sofa bed. Right. Or a futon. I always mm. wanted a futon, even though they tell me they're the worst things on earth, but I always wanted one for some reason. And So the thing is, when Bonnie moved out of this studio slash office combo thing where there is a desk behind her. Which the mushroom computer lives on. That's right. The mushroom computer lives on it now. So when she moved out, she took her very nice office chair with her to her new office. Oops. This is one of the advantages of having such a large house when the children have moved out. You know, we can we've we've turned one of the kids' old bedrooms into a gym <laughs> and we've turned another one into your office and we've still got space for people to stay. But the thing is that only leaves down here this well, I don't know. It's like a barbecue chair, right? A deck chair or something. It's a deck chair. It's yeah. a cheap old deck chair that you would find like by the pool in the 70s. Yeah. But I feel like we've now tarnished the image of the Mosin Tower studio when people know that you are now sitting on a deck chair. So we, we need to get you a good office chair for the guest mic or something. No, we need to get me a good office chair for my office, and then we can bring my chair down here, which is a nice office chair. Oi. So that's what we need to do. Right. Now, I want to ask you about the topic of the week. And this is all because Kamala Harris, that's how you say it, correct? Kamala. Ka- Ka- Kamala Harris. I don't mm-hmm. want to mispronounce her name. So so Kamala. Just call her Vice President Har- Harris. Vice President Harris was seeking to be inclusive the other day. And she said, I think, you know, my name is Kamala Vice Harris. President Harris. <laughs> My name is Kamala. No, I just don't want to mispronounce yeah, it. Yeah, I think it, it's Kamala. Kamala. I think Ka- it's, I've seen Kamala, it Kamala. Kamala Harris, so I think I it's think. Kamala. Yeah. So I don't want to do that. So my name is Kamala Harris. And she said, I'm, my pronouns are she slash her. I'm a woman sitting at the desk wearing a blue suit, I think is roughly what she said. Uh-huh. And this sets the Republicans absolutely into a tizzy. And there's been this massive social media backlash, including some official RNC account that tweeted about this making fun of her. There have been articles in various conservative publications making fun of it. There was an article in The Atlantic talking about this. And so part of it is the gender pronouns thing, which I'm not going to go into. But part of it is the visual description thing. People basically saying, well, do blind people care? And, of course, some blind people don't. Yeah. What do you think about this? She I, was trying to be inclusive and accessible. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's not something that keeps me awake at night, personally. I mean, I'm not going to criticize someone for doing it if that's what they want to do. 
you know, I've been to things. I was at a book launch recently where the the author did that, and I thought that was really nice. And she, right. she stated – Because you felt included, right? I did. She says, I want to be inclusive to our visually impaired guests. And, yeah. and that was great. And she went a little bit further. She told, you know, what she – her pronouns and what she was – but she said, I have on sparkly boots that I painted myself and, you know, and I have on a black skirt. You know, she was more detailed with jewelry and stuff. Um, See, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. If there's one criticism that I have of the Kamala Harris thing, it's that it's not detailed enough. Now, but, I mean, somebody said anchor... in response to the brouhaha that has been generated by mm -hmm. this genuine attempt to be inclusive and accessible that there are wider accessibility benefits. And this person I saw on Twitter said, look, sometimes I'm on a Zoom and I have my video off and I'm not looking at the screen and I'm doing other things and I'm – Cited, and I appreciate the visual yeah, that descriptions. Makes sense. Sometimes it's hard to tell if you have someone named Pat or Chris or Terry on the call, you may not know, or you know, Peyton or someone like that, you might not be sure who they are. You know, are they, are they male, female, whatever? So that's, I have actually made that mistake, oh, I, I think, at least too. twice in my life where oh, I, I thought that someone was a man. And they were actually a woman. <laughs> I've done that too. And they were okay, you know, but they, you know, they corrected me. But they were, once I was at Universal Studio when I was being strapped into a ride and I said, thank you, ma'am. I'm a sir. And I'm like, oh, uh, dear. I'm sorry. Yeah, and they yeah. laughed. Uh, and another example of this, this is a real fall through the floor moment. I got to tell you, I'm not sure if I've told you this story. But when I was a candidate for parliament oh, no. in 1999, I was on a TV debate, and we were talking about Māori issues, and Māori are the indigenous people of mm -hmm. New Zealand. And we were all debating the issues and, and what we needed to do to get better outcomes for Māori and everything. And I said, obviously none of us around this <laughs> table can identify directly with the challenges that Māori experience. And oh I later found out that one of the candidates <laughs> was Māori. Yeah. And I had no idea, you know, no. because people have sort of stereotypes about what Māori is supposed to sound like or what African-Americans are supposed to sound like or whatever. Yeah. And sometimes people don't sound the way you expect them to sound. No, not at all. You know, and so this is where the visual description is helpful. It's the helpful. other thing is that... I find it interesting. We had a launch in the beginning of this month, actually, for the new Ministry of Disabled People, which is called Faikaha. And various people who spoke at that event got up and described themselves. And I actually learned things about government ministers with whom I have yeah. regular Carmilla interactions that Cepilone I didn't know before. Yeah, and I find it interesting. My one criticism, as I say, is that I want more description of mm -hmm. what people are wearing. I'm interested in that. And, a lot and what I find frustrating, if I can just complete yeah. the point and I'll shut up and let you okay. <laughs> <laughs> What I find frustrating is the blind people who seek to deprive me of information I want. They say, I don't care about this stuff, therefore you shouldn't have the visual description that you want. Now, I find that incredibly presumptuous. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if someone doesn't do it, if they're not comfortable doing it, that's fine. If they want to do it, that's great. I tend to imagine what people look like in my head. So <laughs> with, with Vice President Harris, I picture her as a tall, 
slim. That she's not tall. I know, but I in my head, I picture her as a tall, slender, well-dressed woman of color. Well, she probably is well-dressed. Yeah, she's probably well-dressed. I'm pretty sure she's not tall. I don't I, know. I mean, I, I guess it depends on what tall is. I don't believe she's tall. But anyway, I mean, I'd like to know those things. Now, I suppose one compromise position is if the visual descriptions are not giving me enough detail anyway, and some blind people are saying we don't want them, maybe the answer is, okay, those who do want them should use technology like Ira or whatever mm-hmm. to get the extensive visual description that they want. But that can be cost prohibitive if you're in an area where there's no IRA access and you've kind of yeah. got to hold your phone out and say, what does this person look, look like? You they know? might be a bit creeped out by that. I think yeah. you can get arrested for doing that in certain places. So. I saw a tweet that really concerned me from somebody who's actually quite respected in the accessibility field. And they came back from the NFB convention recently and they posted a tweet and said, I was so pleased that people at the NFB weren't offering visual descriptions of themselves. And I see that NFB is taking quite a neutral position on this. Mm -hmm. And they sent a tweet when all this brouhaha blew up earlier in the week. And they said something like the question of visual description is a complex matter. And they actually asked people to tweet in and say what they thought about it. And the responses from blind people were so varied. And we've, yeah. we've had this discussion on this podcast mm-hmm. and there's such a range of perspectives on this. Some are passionate like me about it. I, I want this information. What right do other blind people have of depriving me of the information that yeah. sighted people can just get? Mm-hmm. See, what's the alternative? Because another alternative is You could walk up to somebody, not that they'd let you probably walk up to Vice President Harris, Mm -mm. (laughs) but you could walk up to someone afterwards and say, excuse me, what are you wearing? And people would say, oh, there's a creepy blind person asking that question. But if you decrypify it Mm -hmm. by making the information available to everybody, that's really inclusive. I've been working with people in my organization for three and a bit years now and every so often something comes up and I find out that they've got a beard and I didn't realize they had a beard or they're wearing glasses or and I actually find that interesting yeah it doesn't make a difference to what I think about them or anything like that I just find it interesting information so I don't know I, I, I don't know how we resolve this as a community I don't because think you can you know I think it's just some things people are gonna have Differing but, opinions but, but, yeah, on. but what happens if you get in a room and somebody genuinely is trying to be inclusive and helpful and they describe themselves and a blind person complains, you know, why are you wasting time? This makes me feel singled out. And this person's only trying to be helpful and they've heard somewhere that blind people want this. It's like I don't expect blind people to be homogeneous as a community about what accommodations we want, but it makes it complicated for people when there's so much division on this question. Well, I think people, you know, with any division, they just have to keep their manners, mind their manners, you know, and if you don't like it, then if it's not harming you in any way, at least they're not walking around the room saying, ooh, you want to feel my blue suit, you know, or my beard or whatever. Everybody's different, and we're not going to all like the same things. And and sometimes you just have to suck it up and just... But then what happens if you are the only blind person, say, on a Zoom call, and they're going around describing themselves for your singular benefit 
and you think, oh my God, this is just making me feel so singled out yeah. and ostentatious and I don't want all this attention. You know, People for me, just- you know, for me, I guess just me, I wouldn't care. I mean, after the author talk, I went up to the author and thanked her. I said, yeah. that was very nice. You know, so I'm not going to stand up and say, gee, you didn't have to point me out. I mean, in most cases, everyone knows anyway, because the dog's there, you're not looking directly into the video or, you know, stuff like that. But are they hear jaws or voiceover chattering away? But I'm just, I'm not one that gets upset about these things. It's See, just, another thing that somebody said, which I do not agree with, is that for Vice President Harris to have talked about her blue suit is a stereotype where we care more about what women politicians oh, are wearing. God. But I don't agree with that no, because if Joe Trump's Biden was there, hair. President Biden, I'd be interested in what he was wearing. Yeah. I mean, what about Trump's orange hair? I mean, or toupee or whatever. That was the headline on the news for four years. So, you know, does that mean all male politicians have, you know, we care about the hair of male politicians? It's not like I care about it. That's not the term I'm looking for. I find it interesting background information to find out. And when we last talked about this, somebody wrote in about a situation in their workplace where they were turning up in a skirt and heels. And it wasn't until somebody told them, actually, everybody else in this workplace is not dressed that way. Mm -hmm. You're overdressed. And if there had been the visual descriptions, this person who clearly is female because, I mean, well, I mean, if you want to turn up as a male in skirt and heels, you know, you live like you want to live, baby. But, but, but this was a woman. Um, it, It was kind of embarrassing for her to learn that way. And so, you know, it helps you to fit in in some cases. But also when you take a job and I've known side of people have had this happen too. A friend of mine went for a meeting at Google and showed up in their business suit. They were sighted, showed up in their business suit, and the people they were meeting in were there in bare feet and ripped up <laughs> jeans and yeah. shirts that looked like they hadn't been washed in several years. So Talking to the sentient bots. Talking to the bots, yeah. you know, and the bot was in the room. And, you know, I know, I don't know about that part. This was years ago. But that's also part of work ready is asking, you know, because there are dress codes. I mean, if you work on Wall Street, it's or it used to be heels and skirts, baby. But if you're working, I mean, New Zealand example is very laid back, I guess, even in corporate, you don't see a lot of people that are dressed to the nines, you know, in suits and stuff. Not a lot. Most of even the managers and things, a lot of them are in, you know, sports shirts and pants. So a lot of it is is asking about your culture in the job. And that's one thing that I tell people when you wonder what to wear, you ask straight up, what, what do we wear here? Now, on other travel matters, we're getting ready for our big trip in September. Yes. And we've had all sorts of fun with this signet Big kahuna of a battery that I talked about that we bought a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So the first one was dropping about 20% of charge overnight. And you can't have that. I mean, it's just sitting there doing nothing and it drops Mm -hmm. all this charge. So I took it back to the store. I actually bought it online, but I got in an Uber and I went to the store because they said, we'd like you to physically return this and somebody will look at it. They didn't swap it out right away. They had to verify that I wasn't somehow pulling a Swifty. I don't know why they would think that I would go to all the trouble of catching an Uber 
to. No, because people do it all the time. All right, then. I mean, they're people, you know, you have to be careful. <laughs> so they. I mean, not because of you, but just in general. They verified that this thing was dodgy and then eventually they replaced it. So I went in in another Uber and picked it up and got it home. And then overnight, I found that not only was it losing charge like the first one did, but nine times out of 10, when you connected a device to it to charge, it didn't register that the device was connected. So I got in another Uber and I took it back and I said, okay, two strikes is enough for me on this one. So I want a refund. And a week went by and I still hadn't heard from anybody. So I sent a very nice email and said, just checking in on my refund, guys. And they texted me back and said, we can't find anything wrong with this device. Can you please tell us what's wrong with it? And so I wrote back and summarized it all over again. And then I just sent them an email and I said, you know, th this is just ridiculous. I've bought so many things from this place, like laptops, routers, lots of computer gear. And they're about to lose me as a customer over a, like a $200 product because they're being so ridiculous. This is PB Tech, by the way, for anybody in New Zealand who's interested. <laughs> So finally, after I started mentioning the Consumer Guarantees Act, which is law in New Zealand, which says that a product has to actually do what it says on the tin, <laughs> um, they, they finally gave me my refund. On other news to do with dodgy places, we've had a real run with MenuLog. Oh, we, yeah. We've now severed our relationship with MenuLog. This is the, the best. Yeah, this is the delivery service for food that competes with DoorDash and Uber Eats. And I have to say, if you're listening menu log, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Oh, terrible. We, we had two experiences a week apart. Well, Thursday night, we kind of think, oh, we'll get a bit of a treat in. And so we got this wonderful restaurant that I think I talked about this on the show before where the restaurant actually compensated for menu logs snafu and brought the food over. One of their wait staff brought the food over because they'd made it and menu log didn't deliver it. And then because as far as menu log was concerned, we didn't get the food, they refunded me and I tried to pay them and they said, no, just have it on us for being a regular, which was so kind of them. Yeah. That's all about customer service making it right, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So anyway, two weeks in a row, we tried to order from this restaurant and hours went by and it never changed from preparing your order to driver assigned, which is the sequence. And each time it finally got cancelled and we never got the food. And the third time, it's like a bad joke, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you, and the third time, it finally clicked over to driver assigned and driver at the restaurant and driver on the way. And I'm saying to Bonnie, wow, this is amazing. We are actually going to get our food. And then it changed over to delivered. And unfortunately, it was delivered all right, just not to us. <laughs> so then I get on the chatbot thing because you can't call them anymore. When we last talked about menu log, I talked about how every time you call the number, they won't talk to you. So now they've actually come clean and they've just deleted the number altogether. And they won't talk to you anymore. <laughs> so you have to use this chat. And it's semi-accessible because when you type something into the chat and you send it, you can read what they type back, but you can't read your own chat. You can't read the full transcript. They ask for the order number. They ask for my phone number about two or three times. And then they said, 
we want to get this resolved as quickly as possible. And the best way to do this is to escalate it to our escalations team. I'm thinking, good, I'll get my refund this evening. And they (laughs) said, we expect to be able to respond to you within 48 hours. (laughs) I said, what? (laughs) You must be able to go back and track on the GPS where this food was dropped off. You know it's not here. Just refund me. And he said, I can't refund you because I'm not, I don't have the authority. So I said, well, can you pass the chat over to someone who does? And they said, someone's going to contact you in 48 hours. And I basically said, I'm not leaving the chat until I talk to someone who can give me a refund. 48 hours to wait for someone to acknowledge. you know. And we had this once before with Menu Log where they promised a 48-hour turnaround time. And it took probably three or four follow-ups before we finally got the refund. So I wasn't going there again. So finally, the guy miraculously refunded my money, even though he said he couldn't. And once I confirmed that the refund had been processed, I deleted my Menulog account and deleted the app. And then the food showed up. First, our neighborhood is confusing or complicated. Um, There's a lot of cul-de-sacs. The streets aren't signed very well. And a lot of turns and twists and hills and whatever. So there's this number six on another street. And stuff always gets taken there. Mm. And luckily, the neighbors just looked outside yeah, and, and saw this big bag of oysters Uber. and Yeah, and they chicken. brought it over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so luckily one of the kids from that house brought it over to us. Yeah. But if they hadn't, we'd never have got the no, food. And, and it was quite a, nice a long dinner. time before we did get the food. Yeah, because they may not have been home. And when you look up menu log on Google, you know, review sites and things, it's just so bad, the stories that people are telling about That's menu good. log. So I mean, not good, but yeah. we, not we did have our first DoorDash experience yesterday. DoorDash has been kind of weird here, hit and miss in our particular street. We tried to order once before, and they claimed the restaurant was closed, even though it wasn't, after we placed the order and after they said a dasher was going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. And then... We got to the point where we had a whole lot of food in the cart a couple of days ago. This is for our Thursday night treat. And then when I went to pay for it, it said, oops, it said, your delivery address is not within this restaurant's location. And they're like two kilometers from us. Yeah. (laughs) And then last night we tried again and it all just worked and we got DoorDash. And I must say, the accessibility seems to have improved a little bit in the last version of the app. Yeah. And they do text you as well as push to you. So you certainly know when your food has arrived. And he did, he delivered the um, food at the wrong address. But in this case, we were able to call him on the DoorDash app and he immediately fixed the problem. Yeah. So yeah. the people at that house probably looked at, hmm, dinner's here. Yum. Dinner's gone now. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's pretty, pretty crazy. You getting your itinerary sorted out for the travel? Yeah, I haven't just got to figure out who to call or what. We're... Ghostbusters. Paris is kind of a mm, – we can't really do much until we know about Louis Braille's we, house. We are having trouble communicating with the Louis Brown Museum. If anybody has any yeah. ways of helping us with that, we'd appreciate it. But yeah. we'll keep trying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess we could do the Eiffel Tower that afternoon and – Do something else on Friday. We'll we'll try and get it sorted out because I'd like to go to the Louis Brown Museum. Yeah, so I think Tuesday we're going to do the London Eye because we'll kind of want to – I mean, there won't be any quiet days per per se as we go, but maybe a more – we don't have to be somewhere at 4 a.m. kind of day. Right. So we'll do the London Eye. That should be pretty relaxed, I think, and then go over to 
to Buckingham Palace, and yep. I'd like to have a little tea in a little cafe there. Oh, dear. And the good news is that thanks to some quality advice, I have purchased a Zoom F3 portable recorder with 32-bit float and getting some mics that are specifically geared to the kind of field recording we'll be doing. So hopefully we will get some good audio for the podcast. Yeah. And there was a, a really nice story in the paper yesterday about a little girl. She's nine and she has cerebral palsy and she loves the royal family. You know, she's very into the royal stuff. And so she's about to have surgery. So the mom took her and her sister and the mom's partner to Buckingham Palace to tour the state rooms and pet the horses because apparently you can pet the queen's horses. And then they had lunch in the little cafe there. And it's very crowded, as you can imagine, and with tourists. And they have those ridiculous tables that if you look at them, they shake. And her wheelchair, they think someone may have bumped her wheelchair and it bumped the table because those tables are not very steady. And uh, hot tea got poured on her leg. And, um, yeah, everybody in the cafe ran over and poured cold, you know, they would start pouring their cold drinks on this kid, you know, on her leg <laughs> to make sure that it didn't burn her. And they called an ambulance, of course, and the palace officials actually escorted the ambulance out the gate to make sure that it would get to the hospital with no trouble. And so the next day she was invited back to Buckingham Palace and, um, they gave her and her sister a stuffed pet corgi and a jubilee bear. Did the so, queen say so? I keep thinking that, you know, this. there's going to be, you know, I mean, I know if I were a member of the royal family, I would. I, it, so if you're listening, Kate, or, you know, uh, your majesty or Camilla, <laughs> this, I mean, <laughs> if I were a member of the royal family, I would definitely invite her back for a private tour in tea. Right. So I hope that happens because it was, it was a, I mean, it was a sad story, but. You know, it's like the mom said it was a – but it, it had a positive outcome, you know, and people were very helpful. And it was just – but they did say when they had their second lunch, they all had cold drinks. So People can be kind. Yeah. And on that note, we will end. Yeah. Thank you for an amazing Bunny Bulletin. Thank you. I love to hear from you, so if you have any comments you want to contribute to the show, drop me an email written down or with an audio attachment to Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. If you'd rather call in, use the listener line number in the United States, 864-606-6736. Who's in it?